Welcome to Books and Sound. I'm your host, Don Beavers, and this episode contains a digitally remastered theatrical presentation of one of the great works of literature. Please remember to subscribe so that you can enjoy new episodes as they are released. This podcast is provided free and offered without commercial interruption. If you enjoy the episode, please leave us a positive review so that we can grow the podcast. Enjoy. This is the NBC Theater. From the NBC Theater in Hollywood, we bring you an hour-length version of one of the oldest and greatest of the human comedies, one of the least read of one of the greatest classics in the library, Miguel de Cervantes' robust satire, Don Quixote. And as intermission commentator on this story of the knight in anything but shining armor, we bring you the distinguished Broadway actress, producer, and author, Margaret Webster, who recorded her commentary in New York earlier this week. Here now, Don Quixote. At a certain village in La Mancha, which I shall not name, there lived not long ago one of those old-fashioned gentlemen who are never without a lance upon a rack, an old target, a lean horse, and a greyhound. His whole family was a niece, not twenty, and a housekeeper, something turned of fifty. His diet consisted more of beef than mutton, with minced meat on most nights, lentils on Fridays, eggs and bacon on Saturdays, and a pigeon extraordinary on Sundays. There was also a man that served him in the house and in the field and could saddle a horse. The master himself was nigh fifty years of age, of a hale and strong complexion, lean-bodied and thin-faced, an early riser, and a lover of hunting. Some say his surname was Quijada, or Quesada. However, we may reasonably conjecture he was called Quejada, meaning lantern jaws. Though this concerns us but little, provided we keep strictly to the truth in every point of this history. Well, the truth is that my master has been spending his time in reading books of knight errantry, which he does with application and delight. He often disputes with the curate of the parish, a man of great learning. Tell me, good curate, who was the better knight, Palmerine of England or Amadis de Gaulle? Tell me, which? I could not say. You could not say? You, a man of learning? My friend, I fear for you. Fear for me? By sleeping little and reading much, the moisture of your brain is exhausted to such a degree that you seem to have lost the use of reason. True, my head is full of nothing but enchantments, of quarrels, battles, challenges, wounds, complaints, amours, torments, and abundance of stuff and impossibilities. All these fables and fantastical tales which you read have come to seem the most authentic histories. And so they are, curate. So they are. My poor old friend. What's more, I intend to engage in such undertakings myself. What say you? It is necessary for the increase of my honor and the service of the public for me to turn knight errant. But 
friend, you are mad. I shall roam through the whole world, armed, head to foot, and mounted on my steed in quest of adventures. Your brain is at I shall redress every manner of grievance and expose myself to danger on all occasions. And at last, after a happy conclusion of my enterprises, I shall purchase everlasting honor and renown. The first thing he did was to scour a suit of armor that had belonged to his great-grandfather and had lain time out of mind, carelessly rusting in a corner. Next, he went to view his horse, whose bones stuck out like the ribs of a burst wine cask. Oh, what a fine beast he is. But uh, somewhat thin. Thin? Neither Alexander's Bucephalus nor the Seeds Babietha could be compared to him. But he must have a new name. A new name, Master? I have been four days considering what name to give him. There is no reason why a horse owned by so famous a knight as myself, and with all so excellent in himself, should not be distinguished by a particular name. Uh, true. It should be a good big name, such a one as should fill the mouth. What name have you found? I have devised many names. I have rejected, changed, liked and disliked. And I have concluded to call him... Rocinante. Rocinante? A name, in my opinion, both lofty-sounding and significant. Rocinante. Rocinante. When he had thus given his horse a name so much to his satisfaction, he then thought of selecting a name for himself. A name for yourself? And I have chosen it, curate, but not satisfied with the bare appellation, have added to it the name of my country. What is your new name? Don Quixote de la Mancha. Don Quixote de la Mancha? Which, to my thinking, denotes very plainly my parentage and birthplace, and consequently would fix a lasting honor on this part of the world. Ah, most commendable. Now, now I want nothing but a lady. Yes, it is. A lady? A lady. On whom I might bestow the empire of my heart. Ah, but my friend... I am sensible that a knight errant without a lady is a tree without fruit or leaves. Yes, but you don't... Should I by good or ill fortune chance to encounter some giant, as tis common in knight errantry, and happen to lay him prostrate on the ground transfixed with my lance, would it not be proper to have some lady to whom I may send him as a trophy of my valor? And have you selected this fortunate lady? Ah. Near here dwells a likely country lass for whom I have had formerly a sort of inclination. Ah. Oh, she's never heard of my inclination or regarded it in the least. Uh, her name? Aldonfa Lorenza. Oh, I know the girl. Yes, I have studied to find her out a new name, one which might have some affinity with her old name and yet at the same time sound somewhat like that of a lady of quality or a princess. And you have found such a name? Aye. Tis Dulcinea del Toboso. Dulcinea? With the addition of del Toboso from the place where she was born. It is a name, in my opinion, both sweet... Harmonious and extraordinary. Dulcinea del Toboso. These preparations being made, 
Don Quixote found his designs ripe for action and thought it now a crime to deny himself any longer to the injured world that wanted such a deliverer. So, one morning before day, in the greatest heat of July, with all the secrecy imaginable, he armed himself head to foot, laced on his ill-contrived helmet, braced on his target, grasped his lance, mounted Rocinante and sallied out into the world. But Don Quixote had not gone far, ere a terrible thought alarmed him. The honor of knighthood has not yet been conferred upon me. Therefore, according to the laws of chivalry, I neither could nor ought to appear in arms against any professed knight. Oh, Rocinante, oh! I must ponder this matter. There is some manner of arranging such a thing. But what... Ah, I have it. I shall be dubbed a knight by the first person I meet. That will settle the matter. So be it. Proceed, Rocinante. Proceed. Don Quixote de la Mancha traveled almost all that day without meeting any adventure worth the trouble of relating which put him into a kind of despair, for he desired nothing more than to encounter immediately some person on whom he might try the vigor of his arm. Towards the evening, he and his horse, being heartily tired and almost famished, Don Quixote, looking about him, espied what he fancied to be a castle. It was fenced with four towers, lofty pinnacles glittering with silver and uh, all those other appurtenances peculiar to such places. At the gate of the castle were two beautiful maidens taking benefit of the fresh evening air. Oh, Lord, I want Oh, What a sight! A madman cased in iron. Oh, do not fly, ladies, nor fear the least offense. The order of knighthood which I profess does not permit me to countenance injuries to ladies of such high rank as your presence denotes. <laughs> you laugh at me. You mock me. Give me leave to tell you, ladies, that modesty and civility are most becoming in the fair sex, whereas laughter without ground is the highest piece of indiscretion. <laughs> what is this? Oh, Sir Knight, if your worship be disposed to alight, you will fail of nothing here but a bed. All other accommodations will be supplied. You are the governor of this castle. Governor? <laughs> Sir Lord of the castle, the least thing in the world suffices me, for arms are the only things I value, and combat is my bed of repose. Then you may safely alight. I dare assure you, you can hardly miss being kept awake all the year long in this house, much less one single night. Oh, oh steady. <laughs> Have special care of my steed. There is not a better one in the universe. In the universe? In all the universe. <laughs> While Don Quixote was at supper, he was vexed by the thought that he was not yet dubbed a knight. For he fancied he could not lawfully undertake any adventure till he had received the order of knighthood. So, as soon as he had done eating, he called his host and threw himself at the innkeeper's feet. Oh, most valorous governor of this castle. 
I will never rise from this place till you have graciously vouchsafed to grant me a boon. A boon? What boon? Oh, noble sir. The boon which I beg is this. Tomorrow you will be pleased to bestow the honor of knighthood upon me. Knighthood? But I can't... Uh, this evening, as is required, I will watch my armor in the chapel of your castle. Chapel? But and I... Then I, in the morning I, you shall grant my boon as I yeah. passionately desire, so that I may be duly qualified to seek out adventures in every corner of the universe, to relieve the distressed according to the laws of chivalry and the inclinations of knights errant like myself. Oh, you were to be highly commended for your choice of such an employment. I myself, in my youth, followed the same honorable profession. Oh, then I am indeed most fortunate to have found you. Uh, unhappily, this uh, castle at present has no chapel where a knight may keep the vigil of his arms. No chapel? What place would you suggest? Well, why not the courtyard of this castle? An excellent place. So be it. In the morning, all necessary ceremonies shall be performed so that you may assure yourself you will be dubbed a knight. Uh, as much a knight as any in the world could be. Uh, do you have money? Not so much as a coin. Most unfortunate. Oh, I have never read in any history of chivalry that a knight errant ever carries money about him. Now, there you are mistaken. You may rest assured that the knights had their purses well-lined to supply themselves with necessaries, and carried also with them a small box of salves. Salves? What sort of salves? To heal their wounds, of course, for they had not the conveniency of surgeons to cure them every time they fought in fields and deserts, unless they were so happy as to have some magician for their friend. Oh, where is a knight to find a magician these days? Well, then you should have a squire... He would carry a wallet with money, clean linen, a box of salves, and necessaries. Well, you're right. I must find myself a squire. Yes, but now you must prepare for the night. Uh, let me assist you to your feet. Oh, oh sir, your armor. Uh, I shall spend the night in your courtyard, watching my arms and armor, and thinking of the morning. <laughs> Which purpose, having got them all together, his arms and armor, Don Quixote laid them against the horse trough which stood in the center of the yard. Then, grasping his lance, he began to walk about the horse trough with a most graceful deportment. Unfortunately, in the night, uh, one of the carriers who lodged at the inn came out to water his mules, which he could not do without removing the arms away from the trough. Oh, thou whoever art. What say you? Rash knight that lays hands on the arms of the most valorous knight errant that ever wore a sword. Take heed. Who are you? I, I can't see. Do you. not audaciously attempt to profane my arms with so much as a touch, lest instant death be thy reward. Uh, from your words, I'd say you're a madman. But mad or not, your arms are in my way. 
Now I can water my mule. Assist me, Lady Dulcinea. Assist me in this, the first opportunity that offers itself to your faithful slave. This, my first trial of valor. Soul! Thy queen of beauty, now is the time when thou must enliven thy adventurous slave with the beams of thy greatness, while this moment he is engaging in so terrible an adventure. Soul! I have defeated the villain. I have won my first encounter. But other carriers, seeing their comrade thus used, though they were afraid to come near, gave the knight such a volley of stones that he was forced to shelter himself as well as he could under the covert of his cart. False and treacherous villains, rabble, fling on, do your work. Let him alone. I have told you he is mad. The law will acquit him if he kills you. Oh, there you are, lord of the castle. Oh, you are base and unhospitable for suffering a knight errand to be so abused. Leave off. Do not attack him further, I pray you. Draw near of your dare knaves and receive the reward of your insolence. Ah. Uh, uh, You do not come near. Then pick up your wounded and carry them off. Oh, you... You must excuse the insolence of these base scoundrels. They have abused you without my privity or consent. Uh, Say no more. Uh, I was thinking... Yes? I have already told you that there is no chapel in my castle. So you have? Uh, But there is no need of one. What say you? The ceremony of knighthood consists only in the application of the sword to your neck and shoulders. This might be performed here where we stand as well as anywhere else. Is such a thing possible? Uh, bring me my book. What say you? Quickly, quickly, my book and a candle. M- m- must I need? Uh, that is customary. <laughs> so be it. Here is your book. All the accounts for selling straw and barley. Hold your tongue, wench. <laughs> Here is the candle. Give me the book and raise the candle so that I may read. <laughs> Silence! Now I will read the order of the ceremony. Whereas the end, therefore. And as it says, proper authority, that is to say, uh, at this point, you give me your sword. My, my sword? Uh, with this sword, I strike your shoulder. <laughs> Here, wench, take the sword and buckle it about the knight's waist. Yes, master. You are kind, my lady. Heaven make your worship a lucky knight and prosper you wherever you go. Aye, sir knight, and you must go quickly. Uh, assist me to my feelings. <laughs> Uh, I will take the field in quest of adventure. Bring me my lance, my helmet, my horse. Don Quixote sallied out of the inn so well pleased, so gay and overjoyed to find himself knighted, that he infused the same satisfaction into his horse. But uh, calling to mind the admonitions which the innkeeper had given him concerning the provision of money and clean shirts, 
he resolved to return home to furnish himself with them and likewise get himself a squire, designing to draft such a neighbor who was poor but very fit for the office. With this resolution, he took the road which led to his own village. He had not gone two miles when he discovered a company of people riding towards him. And Don Quixote, with a dreadful assurance, fixed himself in his stirrups and posted himself in the middle of the road. Let all mankind confess that there is not in all the universe a more beautiful damsel than the Empress of La Mancha, the peerless Dulcinea del Toboso. Senor Cavalier, we do not know this worthy lady you speak of, but be pleased to let us see her, and then if we find her possessed of those matchless charms of which you assert her to be the mistress, we will freely and without the least compulsion own the truth which you would extort from us. No! The importance of the thing lies in obliging you to believe it, confess it, affirm it, swear it, and maintain it without seeing her. Therefore, make this acknowledgement at this very moment, or with me you must join in battle, one by one, by the laws of chivalry. Oh, knight, I beseech you, in the name of all the princes here present, to let her see some portraiture of the lady. And though her picture should represent her to be blind of one eye, we shall be ready to say in her favor whatever your worship desires. Blind of one eye, you infamous scoundrel! We are peaceful merchants from today. Merchants! Oh, you shall severely pay for the horrid blasphemy which thou hast uttered against the beauty of my lady. Draw your swords, villains, and prepare to fight! With his lance, couched Don Quixote rode furiously at the merchant who had provoked him. But Rocinante stumbled and fell in the midst of his career, threw down his master who rolled and tumbled on the ground. Don Quixote was so encumbered with his lance, target, spurs, helmet, and armor that he could not rise from the ground. However, even in this helpless condition, he played the hero with his tongue. It is not through my fault that I lie here, but through that of my horse. Come back! Come back! I'm unable to stir. Uh, my ribs. My, uh, what's my this? My back, uh, my head. Uh, who are you? Huh? What's that voice? Uh, why do you make such a sad complaint? Oh, I am a knight errant, fallen in battle. But uh, well, you have the voice of my neighbor, Master Quijada. Ach, I am Don Quixote de la Mancha. Oh, Master, how did you come to such a predicament? Uh, I have had an encounter with scoundrels. Villains who worked magic to place me in this condition. Come, Master. I will set you on your feet. My horse. Where is my good Rocinante? He nibbles grass at your feet. I will place you on his back and guide you home. That will be good. To go home. 
Don Quixote was so bruised and mortified that he could hardly sit upon his horse. He reached home after sunset, and after having his bruises attended to, was put to bed. His housekeeper fed him and left him to his repose. Oh, wise curate, tis those cursed books of errantry which the master used to be always poring upon. They have brought him to this sad condition. These books of disadventure must be burned. He would read them for 40 hours together and then draw his sword and start fencing against the wall. On the morrow they shall be condemned to the flames. There are a hundred large volumes and a good number of small ones. None will be spared. Good. Uh, but what will happen when my master looks for them? We will stop at the door of the room where the books were kept. Uh-huh. That will put an end to all of this night errantry. Two days afterward, Don Quixote got up from his bed... And the first thing he did was to go in search of his darling books. Housekeeper! Yes, master? Oh, I, I'm quite lost. Which is the way to my study? Study? Oh. What is it you look for? Oh, my books. My precious books. There is no study in this house. No books. Where have they gone? The devil's run away with them. Or some conjurer. A conjurer? An enchanter, who since you left, came hither one night riding on a dragon. Oh. He went into your study, and after a while flew out of the roof, leaving the house all full of smoke. Oh. And when I went to see what he had done, I could find nothing of your study, nor the books. Did, did he happen to give you his name? Um, was something like, um... Preston or Friston. Uh, Tis he, my mortal enemy. He bears me great malice and endeavors to do me all manner of mischief. Oh, master, promise in the future you will stay at home and live in peace and quietness. Good housekeeper, how ill thou understandest these matters. I will remain quietly at home only until my bruises are healed. Oh. Meanwhile, I must find myself a squire. A squire. And then, my squire at my side, I will renew my rambling. Don Quixote earnestly solicited one of his neighbors to be his squire. Sancho Panza was his name. A good, honest fellow, but poor in purse and poor in brains. "'Tis likely such an adventure will present itself as might secure for us the conquest of some island. What island? I cannot in advance tell you its name, good Sancho Panza, uh, but I promise that you shall be made governor of this island. Go governor me? With a governor's palace and all necessities. I, I will come with you, master. I will forsake my wife and all my children to, to be your squire. Before we set off, I must furnish myself with money. I shall sell one house and mortgage another until I get a good sum together. Yes, master. You furnish yourself with what is needed. Above all, provide yourself with a wallet. What? A, a wallet? Along with shirts and as many other necessaries as you can conveniently carry. Yes, master. And bring your donkey along. 
for you are not used to traveling afoot. I have never read of a knight errant whose squire rode upon a donkey, but I cannot remember any precedent which forbids it. Tis a good beast. Yes, I will mount you more honorably with the first opportunity. I shall unhorse the next discourteous knight I meet, and you shall have his animal. When do we depart, master? I will give you notice of the day and the hour when I have decided upon it. It will be within the week. Aye, within the week, we set out on the noble road of knight errantry. NBC Theatre is bringing you a dramatic version of Cervantes' novel, Don Quixote. Now, to comment on this work, here is the noted Broadway producer-director, Miss Margaret Webster, speaking from New York. On April the 23rd, 1616, there died an Englishman named Shakespeare. On April the 23rd, 1618, a Spaniard named Cervantes. In the year 1605... The Englishman conceived the plays of Macbeth and King Lear, and in 1605, the Spaniard published the book of Don Quixote, a year hard to match for its literary bequest to posterity. While the Englishman was serving his theatre apprenticeship in London, he must have heard the guns of the invading Spanish Armada. The Spaniard had been in Andalusia, acting as purveyor for the same fleet. One is almost surprised that no one has yet invented a legend of Cervantes being wrecked with the Armada on an island of the Hebrides, and thereby serving as Shakespeare's original model for Prospero. At all events, the war between England and Spain is a matter for the history books. King Lear and Don Quixote remain. Shakespeare could have read Don Quixote. The first part was translated into English four years before his death, though the second part did not come till four years after it. The first book contains most of the episodes of action with which we are all familiar, some of them you are hearing today. The second is, in a sense, what Alice Through the Looking Glass is to Alice in Wonderland. It is the richer in philosophy, the mellower in wisdom. I haven't got much time, so... Don Quixote is said to have been translated into more languages than any other book except the Bible. Everybody knows it, and remarkably few nowadays have ever actually read it. Its hero is one of the very few fictional characters who has given us a standard word. It denotes a particular blend of idealism with rashness, faith with absurdity, the sublime with the ridiculous, which can only be described as quixotic. The mixture has always been rare in the world and has resulted more often in tragedy than in farce. A modern Don Quixote would very rapidly land in jail, while his speeches in his own vindication especially the sanest of them, would probably lead either to a concentration camp or an insane asylum. Yet the night of the mournful countenance still holds the imagination of mankind. Is it because of the interweaving of pathos and slapstick, the heroic intention and the ridiculous execution, the undying qualities of clownship, which Charlie Chaplin, for instance, exemplifies in our own time? Is it the earthy, realistic wisdom of Sancho Panza, his roguery, loyalty and simplicity, is it the fairy story charm of the fables themselves or the sting and point of the shrewd and ingenious conversations? Perhaps all of these. The romances of chivalry, whose pernicious influence Cervantes set out to satirize, are today completely unknown. We have comic strips instead. But the lessons of his allegory strike far deeper than he knew. We have not yet outgrown them. 
and the warmth of his humanity still takes the heart. It would be a world grown cold and callous and poor indeed that ceased to remember the great knight and his squire with high honor and with love. Thank you, Miss Webster. Our dramatization continues from Hollywood after a brief pause for station identification. Late that same week, Don Quixote one night, not so much as suspected by anybody. They made such haste that by break of day, they were jogging down the road which crossed the plains of Montiel. I beseech your worship, sir, knight errant. What is it, my squire? I beseech you, don't forget what you promised me about the island. For I dare say I shall make shift to govern it, let it be ever so big. You must know, friend Sancho, that it has been the constant practice of knights errant in former ages to make their squires the governors of the islands they conquer. Oh, an excellent practice. I am not only resolved to keep up that laudable custom, but even to improve it. Could it be improved? It could. Other knights sometimes delay rewarding their squires. But if thou and I do but live before we have passed six days together, I may conquer some island. And this would fall out most luckily for thee, for I would crown you king. Wait. Hmm? Look there in the distance. War of Yonande, war. What is it? Fortune directs our affairs better than we could have wished. Look yonder, friend Sancho. There are at least 30 outrageous giants. Uh, Giants? Which I intend to encounter. And having deprived them of life, we will begin to enrich ourselves with their spoils. For they are lawful prize, and the extirpation of that cursed brood will be an acceptable service to heaven. Uh, what giants? Those whom thou seest yonder, with a long extended arm. Some of them have arms of so immense a size that they reach two leagues in length. Pray look better, sir. Those things are no giants, but windmills. And the arms, you fancy, are their sails, which, being whirled about by the wind, make the mill go. Now, it is a sign thou art but little acquainted with adventures. Aye, that is true. I tell thee, they are giants. If thou art afraid, go aside and say thy prayers, for I am resolved to engage in a dreadful, unequal combat against them all. No, no, no. Oh, no. You, you, oh, you will be killed. Killed by a windmill. Don Quixote rushed with Rothenante's utmost speed upon the first windmill he could come at, and running his lance into the sail, the wind whirled it about with such swiftness that the rapidity of motion broke the lance into shivers and hurled away both knight and horse. Sancho Panza ran as fast as he could to help his master, whom he found lying in the field, unable to stir. Oh, mercy on me. Did I not tell you they were windmills? Nobody would think otherwise unless he had also windmills in his head. Please, friend Sancho, there is nothing so subject to the inconstancy of fortune as war. That cursed necromancer of Preston, who carried away my study and my books, has transformed these giants into windmills. He has done this to deprive me of the honor of victory. 
But I do not admit defeat. Assist me to rise. Uh, at once, Master. At yes. once. Now, let us be on our way. And so they continued in the direction of the pass of Lapith. As they rode, Don Quixote took this opportunity to instruct his squire. Let me give them one necessary caution, Brother Sancho. Yes, Master. I know that thou should cease me in the greatest extremity of danger. Thou must never offer to draw thy sword in my defense, unless thou findst me assaulted by base rascals and vile scoundrels. For in such a case, thou mayst assist thy master. I shall remember. But if those with whom I am fighting are knights, thou must not do it. For the laws of chivalry do not allow thee to encounter a knight, not till thou art one thyself. Never fear. I'll obey your worship in that. I'll warrant you. Come now. Let us ride ahead. Halt, Rocinante! Halt! Well, what is it now, Master? Oh, the day has come, Sancho, that shall usher in the happiness which fortune has reserved for me. This day shall the strength of my arm be signalized by such exploits as shall be transmitted even to the latest posterity. Uh, I do not understand a word of this. Seest thou that cloud of dust before us in the road? Cloud of... Aye. Uh, it is raised by a prodigious army marching this way, an army composed of an infinite number of nations. At this rate, there are two armies. Two armies? Yonder on the other side is another great cloud of dust. Oh, so there is two vast armies ready to engage each other in bloody battle. No, 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 no. It is but two flocks of sheep. Sheep? Where are your eyes? They are two mighty armies. The one which moves toward us is commanded by the great Alifanfaron, emperor of the vast island of Taprobania. An island? Uh, the other army is commanded by his enemy, Rentapolin, king of the Garamansians. And, and, and why, good master, are they going to do battle? Oh, the occasion of their quarrel is this. Alifanfaron is in love with Pentapolin's daughter, but the father refuses to give her in marriage. Good! Good for him! I will stand by him and help him all I may. I commend thy resolution. Yes. Uh, uh, Listen. Aye, tis their trumpet sounding that ye hear, their drums beating. Tis a sound strangely like the bleating of many sheep. Ah, tis thy fear which disturbs thy senses. Withdraw to some place of safety, friend Sancho, while I go to join in the battle. No, I swear tis nothing more than two large flocks of sheep. I shall rush like a thunderbolt into the midst of battle. No, forward, Rocinante! No, no, And Don Quixote did in truth charge the sheep with such gallantry and resolution that they were put to flight in an instant. Seeing the sheep go to rack, loosed their slings and began to play Don Quixote with stones as big as their fists. Two of these buried deep in the middle of his body and sent the good knight spilling off his teeth. Master, master, are you killed? This comes of not taking my counsel. Did I not tell you it was only a flock of sheep? Friend Sancho, no, it is an easy matter for necromancers to change the shapes of things. 
That malicious enchanter Freston did this to deprive me of the glory which he saw me ready to acquire. Tis not possible. Oh, if thou wilt not believe me, follow the supposed sheep at a distance, and thou shalt soon see them resume their former shape. I will do so at once. Now stay, stay, do not go yet. I, I want thy assistance. Yes, good master. Raise me to my feet. I... Uh, oh, so... Better success will soon follow our past calamities. I trust so. Oh, learn of me that one man is no more than another if he do no more than what another does. All these storms and hurricanes are but arguments of the approaching calm. God's providence will not fail us. Come... Let us retrieve our steeds and be on our way. They spent that night under some chestnut trees, but early the following morning, again set out across the broad plain. Master Knight. What is it, friend Sancho? I have been staring upon you. And never have I set eyes upon a more dismal figure. Uh, Tis because we have ridden more than two hours without meeting with any adventure. Should a stranger ask your title, I will tell him you are called Don Quixote de la Mancha, otherwise the Knight of the Woeful Figure. Knight of the Woeful Figure? Aye. In olden times... One knight was called the Knight of the Burning Sword. Another was the Knight of the Unicorn. You now are inspired to give me the sad appellation of the woeful figure. So be it. I assume the name, and at the first opportunity, I shall have a most woeful face painted upon my shield. Oh, my word, you may save the money. You need no more but show your own face. Show my... Halt, Rocinante, halt. Look there, good Sancho. I, I, I fear to ask, Master, what is it that you see this time? Yonder is a horseman. Oh, yes, I see him now. On his head he wears something which glitters like precious gold. It glistens in the morning sunlight. Tis Mambrino's helmet, a great and ancient prize. I see only a fellow on horseback with something shiny on top of his head. I tell thee, tis Mambrino's golden helmet, and I intend to possess myself of it. Forward, Rodinante! Forward! Come back, Master! Come back! Now, the truth of the matter was that this was only a barber riding from village to village with his brass basin on top of his head. But Don Quixote flew at him as fiercely as Rocinante would gallop. The barber threw himself off his horse and then, as hastily, took to his heels, leaving his basin upon the ground. I am master of the field. The wretches run off and left behind him the golden helmet of Mambrino. Tis more a pot than a helmet. Pick it up and bring it me. I, I, master... <clears throat> It is a helmet, then it has neither beaver nor visor, front nor back, but is the same on all sides. Hand it up to me. Uh, take it, master. The Mambrino, for whom this helmet was intended, must have had a head of prodigious size. It appears to me very like a barber's basin. Silence! Y yes, good squire. Uh, 
I fancy this enchanted helmet fell into the hands of some person who, knowing not the value of it, has taken half of it away, possibly melted it for the gold. But I, who know the value of this precious object, I shall wear it in place of my old helmet. Here, friend Sancho, put the old one on your head. Oh, thank you, master. I will try it for size. It sits on the top of my head. Even so, it will protect you in battle. Now I shall try this golden helmet upon my own brow. It rests upon your ears. It is tremendous in truth. But at least we'll protect my skull from all directions at once. Get back on your steed, good Sancho. Let us proceed on our adventure. Good master. What now, friend Sancho? Must we continue on our way across the countryside? Aye, we must seek new and more dangerous exploits. More dangerous? That is my purpose. What is it now? Oh, look there. Another cloud of dust. Not another army. It is twelve men afoot. Trudging on the road, all in a row, one behind the other like beads upon a string. They're linked together by the neck to, to a huge iron chain, and then manacled besides. Guarded by two horsemen armed with carbines. And two others afoot with swords and javelins. Oh, this is a sorry sight. Oh, methinks they are a gang of wretches hurried away by main force to serve the king in his galleys. If this be so, they come within the verge of my office, which is to hinder violence and oppression and succor all people. In misery. Aye, but they are. I must look into this. Forward, rotting on no, there. No. Forward. Oh, no, good master. Good master. Goodbye. Don Quixote galloped across the plain to meet the chain of slaves. He pulled alongside them and addressed himself to the guards. Who is in charge here? I am chief of the guards. What is your business? Why are these poor men led along in chains? Sir, they're criminals condemned to serve the king in his galleys. Which king is this? That is all I have to say to you, and you need inquire no further. Nevertheless, sir, I have a great desire to know in a few words the cause of their misfortune. I will esteem it an extraordinary favor if you will let me have that satisfaction. Oh! Stop here for a time. Oh. <laughs> oh, these men are weary and in need of rest. Sir, you may draw near if you wish and examine the men yourself. I suppose they will tell you why they're condemned. They're such honest men, they're not ashamed to boast of their rogueries. Well, with your permission, I will do exactly that. You there? Yes, sire. For what crimes are you brought to this miserable circumstance? I am brought here because of love. Only because of love were all those that are in love to be thus used. I myself might have long since been in chains. You see, I hold a great affection for a certain lady, Dulcinea del Toboso by name. And for her, I would gladly serve in any galley. My love was not of that sort. What then? I was so desperately in love with a basket of linen 
and embraced it so close that had not the judge taken it from me by force, I would not have parted with it willingly. <laughs> in short, I was taken in the act, and so I was committed, tried, condemned, and there's an end of the business. What is your sentence? Three years a slave aboard the king's galley. It is an exorbitant sentence. You there, next in line. Yes, Why are you led like a dog in chains? Yes. This man has done more rogueries than all the rest. What sort of crimes has he carried out? He's a notorious master of Gines de Pasamonte. You, sir, who are so inquisitive, if you have a mind to give us anything, pray do it quickly and go your ways, for I don't care to stand here answering your questions. There's an account of my life in black and white written with my own hand. That must be an extraordinary volume. So it is, and true every word. What is the title of this book? I call it The Life of Gines de Pasamonte. Is it quite finished? How can it be finished and I still living? <laughs> now seems to be a witty fellow. Unfortunate, too, for the wench fortune is always unkind to a man of wit. You mean to wicked wretches as yourself? I warn you, God, the law does not give us to your keeping for you to abuse us. Your only duty is to conduct us where the king has ordered us taken. I can do as I please with you. Take this! Do not belabor this poor man. Do not interfere. But this man only spoke the truth. It is not an honorable action for men to be the tormentors of one another. If you provoke me, this lance and this sword shall force you to obey my entreaties. How about your business, good servant? And set your brass basin straight upon your empty pants. How dare you insult my golden helmet? Don't meddle any further in what does not concern you. For those who play with cats must expect to be scratched. Thou art a cat, and a rat, and a coward to boot. Forward, Rodinande, we And Don Quixote attacked the chief of the guards with such a sudden and surprising fury that before he had any time to put himself into a posture of defense, he was struck down and dangerously wounded. The slaves laid hold of this opportunity to break their chains and regain their liberty. The hurly-burly was so great that all the guards betook themselves to their heels, leaving Don Quixote and the criminals complete masters of the field. Sancho Panza, who was always for taking care of the main chance, was not at all pleased with this victory. The guards who are fled will raise a hue and cry and soon be at our heels with an army. That is quite true. We must hide ourselves in the mountains. And the hold, hold. I have a favor to ask of you. You and these other men who are now free. Speak quickly, then. It is part of generous spirits to have a grateful sense of the benefits they receive. No crime is more odious than ingratitude. Uh, we have no time for sermons. All the recompense I require is that every one of you, laden with that chain from which I have freed your necks, do instantly repair to the city of Toboso and there present yourselves before the Lady Dulcinea. <laughs> Going to a city? Are you mad? Tell the lady that her faithful votary, the knight of the woeful countenance, commanded you to wait upon her. Assure her of his profound veneration. Then you shall give her an exact account of every particular relating to this famous achievement, by which you once more taste the sweets of liberty. Which done, I give you leave to seek your fortunes where you please. What say you? Where have they gone? They made their escape while you made your sermon. 
I have heard it said that to do a kindness to clowns is like throwing water into the sea. Hadst thou given ear to my advice, you had prevented this misfortune. And since the thing is done, it is needless to repine. But this shall be a warning to me in the future. Now we had better make our own escape before those guards return with all their army. Aye, friend Sancho, bring me Rocinante, and we shall ride off away from this landscape of scoundrels. Away! <laughs> night before our two heroes got to the middle and most desert part of the landscape, they took up their lodging among a number of cork trees. But fortune, which contrives all things as she pleases, directed the master rogue, Ines de Pasamonte, to this very spot. And while poor Sancho lay snoring, spirited away his darling beast. (laughs) My beast is gone. Good morning, friend Sancho. My poor little beast is stolen. Oh, it is a handsome morning. In the future, I will have to travel on foot. No, no, that will not be necessary. I shall give you a note to my housekeeper. To what purpose? There are five donkeys at home. My housekeeper, at my demand, will present you with three of them. Three of them? Uh, she will take Rocinante this very morning and ride back to my residence. What of yourself? I will remain here in meditation till you return. Oh, write the letter at once. I will be off. I will write it all in good time. But first... What are you thinking, good night? I can tell there is something on your mind. I, I, I see it in your eyes. I, I, I have had a sudden thought. There is a second letter I will write. I? Give me pen and parchment. I, I, I have them here in my pouch. Yes, I'm going to write to my lady, the exquisite Dulcinea del Toboso. And you will place my letter in her delicate hand. Oh, gladly, gladly. Here is the parchment. And the pen. Uh, Place your wallet upon my knees and I will use it as a desk. Mm -hmm. So? Uh, When I am finished, I will read it to you so that you may carry it as well in your head as in your pocketbook in case you should have the ill luck to lose it on the way. For so cross is fortune to me that I fear every accident. I will deliver it safe enough, I warrant you. But tis folly to think I can get it by heart. Alas, my memory is so bad that many times I forget my own name. But yet for all that, read it out to me, I beseech you, for I've a huge mind to hear it. I dare say it is as fine as though twere in print. Well then, listen. Don Quixote de la Mancha to Dulcinea del Toboso, high and sovereign lady. He that is stabbed to the quick with a poniard of absence and wounded to the heart with love's most piercing darts sends you that health which he wants himself. Sweetest Dulcinea del Toboso, if your beauty reject me, if your virtue refuse to raise my fainting hopes, if your disdain exclude me from relief, 
I must at last sink under the pressure of my woes, though much inured to sufferings. For my pains are not only too violent, but too lasting. My trusty squire, Sancho, will give you an exact account of the condition to which love and you have reduced me. Too beautiful, ingrate. If you relent at last and pity my distress, then I may say I live and you preserve what's yours. But if you abandon me to despair, I must patiently submit and by ceasing to breathe, satisfy your cruelty and my passion. Yours till death, the night of the woeful figure. Oh, I never heard finer words in my born days. There is no kind of thing in the world but what you can turn your hand to it. If a man would be qualified for the life of knight errantry, he should have some knowledge of everything. I... Some knowledge of everything. You have heard Don Quixote by Miguel de Cervantes, as adapted for the NBC theater by Vincent McConnor. Be with us next week at the NBC Theater, one hour later over most of these stations, for a first radio dramatization of Henry Fielding's rousing novel, Jonathan Wild, and the following week for Voltaire's Candide. These broadcasts of the NBC Theater are sponsored by the National Broadcasting Company as part of a college-supervised course in world literature. If you wish to increase your own knowledge and appreciation of the great novels and novelists, we suggest that you write for full information on these correspondence courses. Write to the NBC Theater in care of one of the following universities or colleges. The University of Louisville, Louisville, Kentucky. Kansas State Teachers College, Pittsburgh, Kansas. The University of Tulsa, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Texas College of Arts and Industries, Kingsville, Texas. And Brooklyn College, Brooklyn, New York. In today's cast, Don Quixote was portrayed by Hans Conry. Sancho Panza was Jay Novello. The narrator and curate was Lou Merrill. The housekeeper was Eleanor Audley. The two wenches were Charlotte Lawrence and Colleen Collins. The innkeeper was Parley Bear. The carrier was Robin Hughes. The merchant was Earl Lee. The plowman was Donald Morrison. The guard was Don Diamond. Guitar interludes were by Jose Barroso. Your announcer, Don Stanley. The NBC Theater is produced by Wade Arnold. The director of the NBC Theater is Warren Lewis. Thank you.